Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, so hot off the press is Microsoft's look at post-pandemic work. That's right. This came out on March 22nd, 2021, and it's titled, The Next Great Disruption is Hybrid Work. Are we ready? So today, we're going to take a look at that report, and we're going to evaluate what we see as the most and perhaps the least valuable pieces of it. And of course, we will discuss the implications for people, leaders, and organizations. So let's hop into it, and we're going to hold ourselves back in terms of not evaluating what they put in this report. Quit this looking at me part. all angry. I am looking I, at you. I'm, I'm looking at you, back. Everett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rain them in. So scene one, first part, we're just going to talk about the report. We're going to talk about what they what they did and what they found, what they're suggesting. And then we will move into a more evaluative type of mode where we'll talk about what we see as valuable or maybe not valuable in that piece. So again, this was released just a couple days ago as, as of this recording, uh, March 22nd, 2021. Uh, and what they did <clears throat> is they partnered with a, uh, a research firm to collect data from more than 30,000 people in 31 countries. And then they have other data, quote, trillions of productivity and labor signals across Microsoft 365 and LinkedIn to try to figure out some of the sentiments and ideas moving out of the pandemic with regard to the world of work. Yeah, so this is all the Microsoft spying on you stuff. So, well, let's give you some benefit from that. <laughs> Williamson's over there and hasn't moved his mouse for an hour. He's probably picking his nose rather than writing that TPS report, right? <laughs> Perhaps that's it, right? Uh, but what it does kind of overall, this report, is that it makes the case that having a thoughtful approach toward hybrid work is critical because, quote, over 40% of the global workforce consider is considering leaving their employer this year. Um, so that's straight from the report. When they refer to hybrid work, what does that mean, Chris? Well, this is the not 100% at home, not 100% at the office. This is mm-hmm. a mix it up, you know, one day in, five days out, or any combination of some of the days in, some of the days out. That's right. That's right. So this report outlines seven what they call urgent business trends. And these are uh, things that they think business leaders should be looking at. And then they also outline five ways forward. So let's go ahead and just tell our listeners, because I'm sure they're on the edge of their seats or, you know, chomping at the bit to hear what the seven urgent trends every business leader needs to know in 2021 uh, are, according to Microsoft's report. So what's number one? Yeah, so flexible work is here to stay. So That's I guess, right. you know, you got, you got your hybrid car. Now you got your hybrid job. <laughs> <laughs> number two, leaders are out of touch with employees and need a wake-up call. So wake up. Womp, womp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three, high productivity is masking an exhausted workforce. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Are you tired? Uh, I mean, I'm always tired. number four gen z is at risk and will need to be re-energized need to get them some new batteries i suppose 
Yeah, shrinking and number five, shrinking networks are endangering innovation. Number six, authenticity will spur productivity and well-being. And number seven, talent is everywhere in a hybrid work world. Awesome. So those are the seven urgent business trends that everyone needs to know in 2021, according to the next great disruption is hybrid work. Are we ready? This report from Microsoft. Now let's talk about what they outline as five ways forward. And again, we will come back and dig into these a little bit more here in a moment, but there are five ways forward that they talk about. What's number one? Yeah. So create a plan to empower people for extreme flexibility. We're taking that flexibility and we're turning it up. That yoke is not enough. (laughs) (laughs) We're, We're going to 11 on this one. All right. Number two, invest in space and technology to bridge the physical and digital worlds. That's right. And since this is Microsoft, they probably want more licenses of Microsoft Teams sold. I'm sure that wouldn't <laughs> hurt, right? I think they probably would would like that. Yeah. So, and Microsoft Teams isn't bad. But anyway, number three, combat digital exhaustion from the top. Yes. And I assume that they mean from the top of the organization. Number four, prioritize rebuilding social capital and culture. Excellent. And number five, rethink employee experience to compete for the best and most diverse talent. Yeah. So, you know, there are a handful of other things that they bring up in this report, and we'll just kind of go through them here um, briefly. And again, then we'll evaluate a little bit. But, you know, one thing that they, they emphasize is that people want the best of both worlds. We've gotten this taste of more flexibility in our jobs. You know, it was just about a year ago here in the United States when uh, people started working remotely in mass and people want to keep some of that. They want to keep some of the in-person stuff, too. They want to go back to that. People we are social creatures and there's benefit to being in person, but also having those flexible and remote options. Yeah. Whereas in the past, you'd go to get a drink of water from the water cooler and might stop by and talk to Dan in accounting. Now you go to the water cooler and you put a load of laundry in because your kids keep making it. Yeah. And and Dan from accounting isn't in your laundry room. That's right. Which is kind of, (laughs) sorry, Dan, laundry's more important. (laughs) I suppose so. (laughs) But, you know, here's the thing, Ben, is, you know, and and it's not just this. So if somebody has a quibble with some of the percentages, the percentages are in line five or 10% with a lot of other surveys we've seen stuff from Pricewaterhouse and other places. But, but in this one, 66% of leaders say their company is considering redesigning office space for hybrid work. And Mm. 73% of employees want flexible remote work options to stay. And that's 67 employees uh, percent of employees want more in-person work or collaboration post pandemic. That's interesting. So I was. I suppose we could we could interpret these data to suggest that, uh, you know, this idea of hybrid work is here to stay. That organizations are thinking about this. That people, employees, want it. Uh, you know, but not only time, do they want the remote, they also want the in-person. Are saying yeah. the in-person because you know what? You know, it's nice. You know, the first three months of not seeing the jack wagons you work with is like, <laughs> oh man, dream come true. Then you start looking around, you're like. I'm lonely and my lawn is immaculate. You know, <laughs> it's you know, you actually want some people in your life one-on-one and group settings to do some work with in person. Right. 
You know, another thing that they highlight in this report is they they state that leaders tend to be faring better than people lower down in the organization. So they're talking about formal uh, leaders, people in positions of authority, those in management are faring better than the rest of the organization, not as much thriving or flourishing further down in the organization. I think, you know, this is probably fairly common Regardless, I'll stop evaluating. We're moving. That's I know. That's next. Sorry. The, the but... le- surprise, surprise. <laughs> leaders are doing Oops. great. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's one thing that they highlight, which is interesting. Yeah, but productivity is high, and that and that's this resilient, amazing thing about organizations in modernity. They mm-hmm. win by boosting productivity versus their competitors. But wow. there's a li- there's only twenty. 20- what did that old boss I had? He said, you know what's good about a 24-hour workday? There's three eight-hour workdays in it. <laughs> and, and so productivity is high, but people feel overworked, exhausted. And, it, you know, they say burnout risk in this report, but we've seen massive burnout from physicians to factory workers to, you know, support to definitely clinical staff during this time. Yeah. You know, and, and it reminds me of, of a time I was working with a manufacturing company that was going through exponential growth. And, uh, you know, some of the people there were saying, you know, we love the overtime, but at some point this becomes an existential question of, you know, do my kids still know me? <laughs> Does my wife know my name anymore? And so, uh, you know, that that is something that they highlight here. They also talk about potential, well, we're, what we will say are maybe age effects. Uh, younger folks maybe seem to be struggling more. They categorize this as generational, and we'll discuss you know, our thoughts on that in a little bit. Yeah, and people's networks are shrinking because mm-hmm. you're at home. You maybe only Zoom chat with a small group of people. You know, you know Who you know and get to know out in the workplace, people who can leverage you to that job you've been peeping on indeed. Um, <laughs> anyway, those networks are shrinking. Well, and one thing that you mentioned, actually, when we were thinking about this episode was that you know, when we are all working remotely, it does reduce the chance encounters. I think that's a that's an interesting point, right? Yeah, because and we did this in another episode about networking, about how important weak ties are to people navigating the workspace and, and moving forward with whatever their goals are. Right. You know, they also mentioned in this report how this tough year that we've all been through has made work more human. Interestingly, they must be listeners of the Indigo podcast because we talked about this as well as, you know, this divide <laughs> between the professional and personal life has in some ways been punctured or shattered because, you know, now we see our our coworkers and our, you know, our employees at home. We have to deal with, you know, the fact that, that we and others are trying to juggle all these competing demands and all facing this common threat of COVID during this past year. So, uh, I, I think that that is something that has happened, at least in in, in industries where where maybe people are, are doing more remote work. Yeah. And so and this isn't so one of the ways we know that this remote work stuff isn't a fad that people just talk about and post on LinkedIn. Look at me. I'm a thought leader. Um, I'm a the, guru. Yeah, I'm a g- shaman of remote work. <laughs> <laughs> but. But here's the thing, guys, remote job postings on LinkedIn and other places are up across the board on LinkedIn alone, five times increase during the pandemic. So, you know, lots of time you see like, oh, we're considering painting all our walls yellow because we read this productivity 
study. And hmm. people will say, oh, we're thinking, we're thinking, but you don't see a whole lot of yellow walls uh, going up. But in this case, people are actually getting approval and postings for these remote jobs. So, that, I mean, that shows that this is actually a real thing rather than just a fad talked about thing. Right. It's not just an opinion. It's an actual behavior that people in organizations are taking supposedly with approval from the rest of the organization to make more work remote. Okay. So we've talked about the report. That's Those are the basics from the report. Uh, we are going to dig into it in much more detail here in a few moments and discuss our thoughts on it, provide some analysis. Uh, we will, of course, have a link to this in the show notes. It's a free report. You can download it. And I encourage you all to check it out because, all right, let's move on to some evaluation stuff. As these reports go, you know, there's just a lot of, many organizations do this type of stuff, put out trend reports and things like that. There's a lot of good ideas in here. It's it's really it's not it's it's not definitely not the worst one that I've ever seen. The data visualizations are great. So yeah, if you're an Excel weenie that likes to model stuff, go <laughs> check out this report. The link will be in the show notes. Yeah, right and then if you look at the online version, it's cool because they have some data points that you can look at and how they changed over time during the past year, which is which is neat. Yeah, so let's do the first one. So flexible work is here to stay. Mm, yeah. I'm like, well, Flexible work has been here for a while, actually, decades. Um, yeah. But it tends to be, and I think even now is, segmented by industry. So if you right. work for McKinsey as a consultant, you know, you're flying all over the place. You're not doing a whole lot of time back in the office for mm -hmm. most of the people. And so they've been flex working forever. Or if you are uh, work with Deloitte and you're conducting audits, Mm -hmm. You know, flexible work, um, IT workers who are doing like uh, hardware deployments and server farms and those kinds of things. Yeah. It's been here for decades. No, but, it's, but I like I think it's really good that you highlighted it is segmented by industry. Right. Because, um, you know, there are many industries in which there is no flex work. Right. Yeah, My, You can't make hot tubs remotely, which <laughs> those things are sold out like eight months to a year plus. I mean, I yeah. wish they could, but they, they can't. Right? right. And so and and I think this is some of the class based angst is hmm. driven by some of the freedom. You know, if you turn a wrench for a living, if you're a mechanic, right, you have to show up at a place. There's no phoning it in, getting your laundry done yeah. while in your pajamas waist down. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it applies to other whole segments of other industries, too. Um, I, I was thinking about, you know, healthcare. You know, my older brother's an anesthesiologist. He cannot do his work remotely, right? And he does some teaching and probably some other stuff. He could do that remotely. He cannot, uh, you know, provide anesthesia for, through Zoom. But, no, but no. some that, of them that being do, said. like reading, reading um, MRI scans. Some sure. of those oh, guys. Yeah, yeah. The, the radiology field is really has really advanced in that field. It's it's fascinating. Um, but I was would would say that some people probably do provide anesthesia via Zoom because of how boring they are. Um, but I, but that's kind of a whole nother story. <laughs> and maybe, yeah. and Don't be that episode. guy, right? Don't be that person. So yeah, we. I mean, we certainly have been talking about in the organizational sciences and and in practice doing a lot with regard to flexible work uh you know doing different flex arrangements um you know i think maybe this pandemic well i would say definitely this pandemic has brought these ideas to the forefront and perhaps has has provided the shock that was necessary to some organizations to show that it can be done yeah so 
you know, just think about the other trends where it's like open workspace, all that kind of stuff. We're, we're going through that again, but here, and I think the key point here is to have your thinking cap on. <laughs> Don't just do, and be, be aware of the VP of people operations saying, well, shoot, I need a major initiative this year. We're going to reimagine the workplace. Okay. Okay. Well, let's see some hard data because this needs to be bespoke for your culture, your organization. Um, which brings us to the next one. Leaders are out of touch with employees and need a wake-up call. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that this is a valid point because it is harder to stay in touch, perhaps, with your employees if you're doing a lot of remote work. But now you've got you know. an excuse. Was What was your excuse <laughs> before the pandemic? Right. I, I mean, the, the data that I've seen in the organizations that I've worked in, you know, doing a lot of consulting work over the past decade and a half, suggests that this is fairly common, pandemic or not, that people, it, it is hard to always stay in touch with what's going on and the front lines. I think in, in terms of my jobs, you know, for example, my, my job in the, in the, the Navy Reserve, you know, I, it takes effort to make sure that I'm still connected all the time. Like that is a, a very important piece. Um, so yeah, maybe not a totally new thing. Um, I, I think it's a, maybe a good reminder though for us that keeping in touch, and, and, you know, I like this new phrase that's being used um, in terms of, uh, you know, doing focus groups and surveys and organizations, people are calling it employee listening. And I think that that's a, actually a nice way to kind of capture this entire idea. And that can be really helpful for leaders. Right. So it's, you know, sometimes it's hard to make the evergreen issues sexy and attractive. Like you'd rather mm -hmm. get AI machine learning than, hey, you numbskull, go talk to your people. But <laughs> but it's important. Um, and And one of the things that leaders are generally tasked to do is driving, and this is our next one, high productivity. And, and you know, the point here is high productivity, high productivity is making or is masking an exhausted workforce. Um, and, th and that drives, drives in for what leaders do. If they're not in touch, your guys could be getting totally exhausted. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about is like the generational lens, because generally new entrants to the workforce, I mean, they're younger, right? They, they, mm -hmm. They're coming out of high school and college and stuff. Um, and we'll, that'll lead into the next one, which is about Gen Z. But there is a limit to productivity that we can drive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's just important for leaders and in, in organizations to be even more in tune with their employees. Uh, and, you know, making sure that their people have the resources they need, that you're not driving them um, to excess because, you know, you can do that for a certain amount of time, but it's it's not going to last. People will start quitting. People will start uh, simply disengaging from the organization in various ways. So you've got to be careful. You've got to try to help people balance um, those types of, of needs in terms of people's well-being, right? If, if Even if I say, like, I love what you're doing for the organization all day long. If I start to feel like you don't care about me as a person, that's kind of the other piece of support that I need to perceive in order to be successful. The next one is all they, what they state in this report is that Gen Z, and we had to we had to Google this. Gen Z is apparently people who are, according to the people who believe in generations and so forth. Um, it's yeah, because the men. minute we learn from the data that generations are baloney. 
we kind of fall asleep immediately. The minute, the minute somebody <laughs> says, I mean, what's the name? It's like Generation Octopus coming up. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Gen Z, but, but, but people say what? Gen Z are people born, what, did you say like 1998 or something? It's like people yeah. in their early 20s, basically, I think. Yeah, yeah so, it's all the way to being kids up until 2021. Gotcha. So it, it's, it's, the, it's the youths out there. Uh, the new people in the workplace, new whippersnappers, whippersnappers, <laughs> people who just just joined the workforce, and uh, so they say that Gen Z is at risk and needs to be re-energized. Again, you know that's not seeing seeing an every generation, generation. I yeah, I think of the opening scene of The Graduate where he's <laughs> sitting in the pool and he's mm. just like, "Look at this house party. This is stupid." I mean, <laughs> youthful malaise. Is a story's oldest time, like it's older than Disney World, right? So, it you know we gotta be careful. And some of the things, first of all, it's a discriminatory comment. Uh, second of all, um, who doesn't want to be energized at work? I right. mean, is there any any generation? And it's not just sometimes young people are full of life and loving their role. Some aren't. Yeah. Same thing with somebody who's older, right? Yeah, I would say you know you got to just be careful to not paint um, an entire swath of society or your organization's workforce with this broad brush of oh well you are this age therefore you must be feeling this way. That's not super helpful. I think maybe it's it's helpful to think okay my my younger folks my new newcomers to the organization you know I need to really make sure that they're engaged too. Um, I don't think the generation's perspective is that helpful. Uh, people do change over the course of their lifetime. I think that is important. Workers change over the course of their lifetime in terms of what they're what motivates them, in terms of what keeps them engaged. Um, but you know, I, I say handle that one with care. Um, you know, we'll we'll post a link to our other podcast on this issue. Uh, about Court generations. Rudolph, if, yeah, if, yeah, Court Rudolph if you're like, no, no, some vendors. I spent $60,000 with, showed me it was real. No, go listen yeah. to our Court Rudolph episode. Sorry, <laughs> thanks for playing. So, so here's the next one. Is shrinking networks are endangering innovation. I thought mm. this one was pretty interesting. It's interesting, right? You know, I guess if we want to get real picky, okay, we could say, how did they, well, did they measure innovation across a bunch of different organizations? And did they actually find a, a causal relationship between network shrink and innovation going down did patents stop being you know coming out those types of measures of innovation and which um, we all know whatever nine months a year's worth of data isn't early it's too early not, to really right. measure i mean yeah. these and that or and if your spidey sense didn't go up earlier which what was that one um 66 percent of uh no, what was it? Here it is. Oh, it was the 40%, 40 of the yeah. global workforce consider leaving their employer this year. Well, that means nothing. What if last year or two years before the pandemic, 50% were? That means we're trending in a good direction. So, you know, right. there's some of that with this stuff. However, when somebody brings up a good point that maybe is not the best backed up in data, because also Microsoft doesn't want people to fall asleep before they click buy more teams at the bottom, <laughs> right? So... So they can't go into like the nerdy minutia we like to see, see, but I think there's something to be said for that loss of weak ties, networking connections, mm. meeting broad, a bunch of people. If you're young in your career, going to industry events where you get to network with other young people 
mid-level professionals and senior people in an informal setting. I mean, that yeah. that has an impact. I mean, I, I think to, uh, you know, just kind of as a maybe a little bit of a tangential example, but I think it's related, is just professional conferences, right? These have been very difficult to have during the pandemic. Uh, and I know we did know, all that preparation for a psyop last it, year. Yeah. Like, so I mean, what a it, toast. Well, I mean, so for example, I, the society for industrial and organizational psychology will have its second in a row virtual conference coming up here in April. And, you know, they're trying, they, they realize, Hey, we need more people want the networking, all that kind of stuff. So they're trying to do some stuff technology wise to try to facilitate that. And, and maybe it'll, it'll be nice. Um, but it just doesn't equate to just walking around the hotel seeing a bunch of people with the conference name badge on, seeing somebody, oh, you went to whatever school or you're at this place. Hey, I, you know, I'm Ben. Let's chat for a second. Or, you know, just those sharing air droplets. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and, that's that's the kind of yeah. stuff that, you know, teamworks makes the dream work there. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think there is a point here, right, in terms of having these um, a loss of uh, connectivity with other people. You know, that's not great for idea generation. So something to be aware of. The next one that they suggest is authenticity will spur productivity and well-being. You know, I, I think it's generally a good idea, right, for leaders to, um, you know, ha bring their authentic self to work, uh, assuming that you are a person of virtue. <laughs> you know, if you, if you are yeah, if authentically, you're authentically not a great. jerk. Or a yeah, leave that psychopath, like, yeah, <laughs> go ahead and put on a mask until you learn how to be a real human yeah. being. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think a big piece here is they talk about spurring productivity and well-being. You know, this is about making sure that you care for your people, right? This is that that idea, that other half of perceived organizational support of, you know, you want to value people's contributions, but you also need to care about their well-being. Because when people feel that and they know that it's genuine, then they will feel more obligated to perform well. They'll also have um, benefits for themselves, lower stress, better mood. And, you know, the, everything just flows better in the organization when that happens. So uh, I think as long as you are authentically a, a great person, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great idea. Well, and be authentic about, you know, the stuff that kind of stinks right now. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, man, I'm so sick of Zoom, too. You know, like you don't need to pretend like everything is awesome. Everything is great. Right. Um, that kind of stuff. And so the the final point is talent is everywhere in a hybrid work world. Mm. Yeah, and I think this is awesome. And one of the places that did this first is uh, software because um, what was it? I think it was plantains. So anyway, this is vendor that had rather than outsourcing your software development overseas, they had in source. In the interior. So, you know, you could find software scrum teams in Oklahoma, Arkansas, or maybe dispersed throughout the, you know, center of the United States. They had cheaper costs of living. I know one guy was able to go take care of his dying mother that lived in this very small town in Mississippi. Uh, I think mm. it was. And he's like, man, I was so glad they had this business model because I got to do some end of life care for my mother whilst maintaining my career because the only jobs there were like the dollar general and, and Wendy's. Um, right. And that would have been challenging for him. And, uh, you know, his mother got to stay in her house, you know? So, you yeah. know, well, and I think it is good from a standpoint of the organization. If you are in an industry 
doing something that lends itself to remote work, broaden your mindset and think, you know what? We don't need this person to be located here. And, you know, maybe because we're, we're headquartered in San Francisco where real estate is through the roof, that may have been a prohibitive factor in getting great talent to come here. Now, like you said, perhaps we can access talent that live elsewhere and that's going to help us, you know, strategically in the organization, be able to, uh, to do more and have great people. So, you know, I, I think it is it is good, you know, as in terms of having the availability of hybrid work, um, you know, this also can allow people to access more leadership op- opportunities. Um, it, it's a good thing. Yeah, it tons of, of course, your mind can go all about like real estate planning, all that stuff. But um Let's just, we'll we'll leave that one. Hybrid work, you can find talent everywhere. Pros and cons, just like hybrid work with the same numbskulls you knew every day that you got forced to do it with during the pandemic. (laughs) So let's move to methodology questions and some of our inferential concerns. Yeah, so, you know, and this is, is these are concerns that I would probably have with any uh, report like this. This is this means hard. you have your thinking cap on. Yeah. Not that you you're know. a Debbie Downer. <laughs> you just got your thinking cap on. Right, right. You know, this is hard work to do in terms of, you know, trying to figure out what the big trends are. Um, it's just hard because there are so many factors at play. It's also tricky with regard to this specific topic because of, you know, one thing I thought of is the quality of data before the pandemic, right? So they have, you know, some data where they're talking about how people are behaving, for example, on Microsoft Teams uh, during the pandemic versus before. And it's like, well, you know, maybe the, the data were just more high quality afterwards because more people were adopting it and using it and and actually figuring it out by that point. So, you know, that, that's, that's one issue. Um, it's also tough to compare Kind of apples with apples with something from the past, right? Just because something is, you know, 40% one year and 50% another year doesn't necessarily mean that those things are related. It also doesn't mean necessarily that there was a statistically significant change. You've got to get down more in the weeds there. And and I realize I'm I'm kind of uh you know getting into some some details here, but you know, this is hard, hard stuff to do. Um it's very tough to fit this complex set of circumstances that we've all been experiencing in the past year during the pandemic and how it's changed the world of work, uh, you know, into neat and tidy trends. It just is. So I, I, you know, more power to you if you can do it, but it is a difficult thing and you run the risk just by definition of oversimplification. Yeah, I, you know, I think of all of Jonathan Haidt's material, that's H-A-I-D-T, Jonathan Haidt talks about the dangers of narrative. Stories Mm. hijack our mind. That's the entire TED model is we're going to tell a story and people are going to be either delighted, concerned, afeared, interested, wowed. You know, these kinds of emotions generally means you're having a cathartic experience or some kind of emotional experience rather than a thinking person's experience. And to be honest, to get somebody that's has a busy day to get through this kind of material, having a bit of a narrative and story can be helpful, mm-hmm. but you know, the story type format can hide what might be some numerical. Let's say it was 40% one year of whatever 
and 40% the next year. You say, we're not changing. But really, you had gotten rid of what had caused the 40% that year, and a new causal pattern emerged the next year. I mean, these are things that you have to get into. So all of these suggestions, all of these pieces, I don't think they're bad. But the key point is you need to evaluate your organization and where they are and maybe have some testing, some governance over how you integrate with this stuff. Right. You know, going kind of on the the same theme of, you know, just this is complex. Um, Some of the indicators that they talk about in this article, in this report, may not actually have a causal relationship with some of the outcomes. Just because two things might be related or are coincidental happening at the same time or covariant moving in, you know, a related way. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, that they are related in a causal way. So for example, in the report, they talk about how there's, you know, more one-on-one interactions on Microsoft teams during the pandemic versus more kind of team wide interactions beforehand. And from that, they suggest that, Hey, maybe our networks are shrinking and so forth. Well, that might be one explanation, but it could just mean that people have learned how to use teams better right? Um, And they realize, oh, wait, we have this chat function where we can talk to people individually. And that's actually really helpful too. Or it could be that the quality of the data from the team sample during the pandemic is better better just because they had more of a a bigger sample and and those types of things. So those are just some of the things that I think about. Or the thing I think about is they're all squawking, squawking, new platform, new thing. We're all home. We're not... And then you settle into a work pattern because it's hard to get promoted during a pandemic when everybody's work and you're just kind of keeping the plane up in the air. And so they settle in and it's like, I, you know what, I really just talk to Karen and Bob because those are the two people that get me the information I need. And then I do my, you know, there's all these kinds of things that it's hard to know. But that doesn't change the fact that we should be aware about people's relationships and how things are working there. Right. So now that we've talked about some basics from this report, we've given some evaluations of it. Uh, Now let's move to talk more about some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. And they do some of this in the article, and we'll just talk through these. Because they have these five different items that they suggest are the way forward. And, you know, there's some some good stuff there. So we're going to talk through those. Uh, And I think, you know, at the basic level, at the same time, you know, the fundamentals of leadership and good management and good human resource practices, those still remain. Uh, that's, you know, some, you know, there's always kind of like, oh, is this just new, new wine and old wineskins? You know, that's kind of the old, the, the a classic complaint that people like me can have about this stuff. But hey, good reminders are good reminders. So let's talk about some of these because I think they're, they are helpful. Yeah. So create a plan to empower for, empower people for extreme flexibility. Yeah. I think that's okay. You should mm-hmm. have that. But when you do that term extreme, like, oh, I get worried that managers are going to take it and, you know, like, okay, we'll, we'll accelerate productivity. We'll just bring in therapists and resiliency coaches to help carve the <laughs> bodies out of the way to profit. Like, let's be honest about the level of flexibility that we're asking here would be my comment on that. Right. And then I also just wonder, you know, what does that plan actually look like? Okay. So how do we empower people for this type of flexibility? I mean, I think there's a, a an infrastructure standpoint that's probably has gotten sorted out to some degree in the past year. If you've done a lot of remote work, you know, do they have the right technology to connect? Um, but then there's also, 
just you know working styles and do you have the the good communication patterns that you need for people to thrive in that flexible environment. There's also fairness issues, right? Um, so, you know, what are the standards for who gets to work when and who gets to be more flexible than others? And I think those types of items really need to be thought out carefully and and communicated well, you know, in, in, order, in order for there to be some good execution on that item. Yeah. So the next one is invest in space and technology to bridge the physical and digital worlds. So, mm -hmm. I mean, this is definitely the plug. Microsoft wants to sell some stuff, but you should still have your typical vendor analysis, needs analysis, disciplined approach to what you're going to do. Because what did what did they say? Everybody's going to work from home. And then mm -hmm. a year later, they brought them all back. Uh, or the um, big open workspace. And now everybody's like, you know, I want to kill Brett over there because he's a loud talker and angry typer, you know? <laughs> and like maybe the big, but if you're in a scrum team environment, sometimes that can be helpful. Um, I know that like different places, um, organizations I've consulted with, they'll have, you know, a silence, a soundproof room where somebody can go do work or do conference calls. They'll have some open spaces. They'll have a corner with couches. I, but a lot of the times, I don't see those beautiful corners with couches being used even. Mm. Yeah. So you want to be investing in those types of things that actually are helpful for for the organization and for workers. Uh, and, imagine you know, that. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that. And so I guess, you know, how do you figure that out? How do you figure out what's people need? What do you invest in to bridge the physical and digital world, so to speak? And I think one thing you can do is you can ask people what they need. You can also, that, that works to some degree. Sometimes people don't know exactly what they need until they see it and they try it. So this is, this is an opportunity, I think, for maybe some, some good experimentation, right? And trying some different items to cut through that ambiguity in order to figure out what really works for your team and for your organization. Great. So the next one's combat digital exhaustion from the top. You know, yeah. and Matty Glacius, he's got this um, blog called Slow Boring. He talks about and has some of the data on digital exhaustion and how much, um, right, when people get bing at 10 o'clock, it's at p.m., it's an email, they're about to just fall asleep and like, well, now they're thinking about work. And they're like, well, I'm not, I'll reply to it in the morning. But then they can't get to sleep because they're thinking about replying it to the morning. You know, being on yeah. all the time because our devices and our stuff, it shapes the way we are as humans. Yeah. And I actually have an example of this. This actually comes from a news article that came out yesterday. So all of this super timely. We're out there for you, listeners. Um, where the CEO of City, um, Citibank uh, Chief Executive Jane Frazier, she came up with a, a few different things from the top to combat this idea of digital exhaustion. So she declared Zoom-free Fridays amid pandemic work fatigue, right? And I'll put an article or a link to this uh, article in the show notes from Yahoo News. Um, but And I quote, City will institute Zoom-free Fridays and establish an employee day off in May as firms seek to restore work-life balance amid the pandemic. 
Um, you know, so oh, I think that's great, but I don't know if one day is just going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but, but having, having at least mentally, yeah, that one day off might not do it. Yeah. But the, uh, the zoom free Fridays, that's actually not a bad idea there, I mean, there is some emerging evidence. I think there's a lot of research still to be done here in terms of what that does to us, you know, being in front of, um, you know, zoom screens all day long, it can be pretty, pretty exhausting. Um, you know, so they, the policy only applies internally, right? So they could still, I guess, use zoom on a Friday if it's with an external client. Uh, but if you're talking to somebody internally, you got to use your phone on, on Fridays. Um, so I think it's an interesting idea. I think at least it's an attempt to, to try to recognize that this is a problem. Uh, and this is something that people really need to, to get a handle on. I I've seen CEOs tell their managers and leaders, I don't want you sending anybody an email past 6 p.m. Yeah. You know, th be creative. Think about it. And one of the things you can do, because every company is different, is just ask your employees. I don't want you guys to be always plugged in and thinking about work. I want you present for your families. I want you, you know, available during Thanksgiving dinner to, to be there with your drunk uncle. You know, that that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> ask yeah. your people how how might we and i love this phrase how might we how might we unplug more and still drive forward with our goals um yeah. and then take those suggestions and drive them from the top that's where you're going to change a lot of that culture and i think something you alluded to is really important and and you know you really do set a tone as a leader like you know if you are the one sending those emails at 10 p.m or sending those emails at 4 a.m and all that kind of stuff, it, it kind of creates an expectation, you know, for well-meaning employees who want to impress you, that want to do a good job, that they kind of need to do the same thing. And now, half that, the time, the execs don't even recognize that you replied back at 4 a.m., right? Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things you could do as an exec, if, if you're a workaholic like me and you like to stay up late and get stuff done, okay, um, write all those emails but schedule them to send at the start of the business day, <laughs> right? You know, they don't have to go out right away in the middle of the night. You can, there's a feature in Outlook and other places where you can schedule those emails to send. That's, that's a good piece. So, so then they get, so then they get like 12 emails from you immediately at 8 a.m. That's right. You know, it's like, the, here's, here's the Ben Baron deluge at 8 a.m. <laughs> oh, good morning. Um, so the, the fourth one here is prioritize rebuilding social capital and culture. You know, as we've talked about on this podcast many times, culture is so important to an organization. And it has to do with those deep norms and assumptions and values that you have as leaders about the way things get done. And you know, so I think this should always be a priority. Uh, in terms of building social capital and those connections and the norms that you want, um, this is probably something I think it is good to good reminder to do this because as you start to move into a more permanently hybrid work arrangement, or you start bringing people back a little bit more and and maybe coming back completely, we'll see uh, that it is important to keep culture in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, and the idea of social capital, for those that aren't familiar with this term, this is about your networks and networks of networks, right? This is the relationships in between people. And you need to have the ability to curate that, even especially if you have people at home in a hybrid. Don't just leave 
Don't just leave Filson on his own. And Filson just cranks out work and never promotes. You know, every, you know, we see organizations complaining. I just don't have the talent I need. Well, you're not developing these guys. And part right. of that development is ensuring that they've got good connections across your organizations. That's where the sweet, awesome ideas and improvement flows are going to come out of. That's great. So the last one is rethink employee experience to compete for the best and most diverse talent. So, you know, this idea of employee experience, this has kind of been a little bit of a buzz phrase in the world of HR and the people side of business now for a couple of years, but there is some value to it. And it's this idea that, you know, we all have a lived experience as we go through the employee life cycle. And considering what that experience is for our employees um, is very important because that's not only what attracts people, they hear about it, but it's also what keeps people uh, to keep that, that, that talent that you need. Um, you know, as these kind of, you know, different policies and procedures around hybrid work start to become more common and widespread, you know, you're, you're still going to be competing for talent, right? Um, and you have to do things that make your organization attractive. And this applies regardless of the size of your organization. I don't care if you're, you know, a small startup or a little mid-sized manufacturing company somewhere. You have to think through why people work for your organization. Why would they want to work there? Yeah. And, you know, anytime somebody says employee experience, the first thing I think of is how's your application process? You know, but you've got it. You've got you should map it out. So if, practical tip here, go to the whiteboard or sit down with a blank sheet of paper and talk about everything from, and Ben, we did this, uh, we did a session on the employer brand. You know, this is before the people are even in, the employee are even in, you're sitting in seats doing work for you. Your employer brand, how do people perceive you, not as the products you make, but as how you are as an organization and what you're like to hire for? So start with that brand exercise, employer brand, and then map every single piece of touch all the way to the conclusion of that employee's life cycle with your organization, moving to another org, moving up, and then look at each piece of those. Each one of those is really a project to discover how might we be better? How might we be a place, like if you love your organization and work in there, you want other people to know and you want to have a, want them to have as good of a time as you're having. And if you hate your organization and it's like the stinkiest place to work ever, well, you want to make it better, not only for yourself, but so you can have other cool people to network with who, hey, if they go to bigger, better things, they might take you with. I mean, it's a it's a huge virtuous cycle of looking at both how potential employees view us, how the process of them dealing with us as organizations, and then how they depart to having good things to say about us. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, as we try to wrap up here a little bit, uh, you know, this this report from Microsoft, I encourage our listeners to check it out. Uh, you know, even though we had some various criticisms and some kind of nuance that we added to various pieces of it, I don't think that you will do any harm to your organization by doing some of these things that they mention as the way forward. And there's some good ideas here, some things that might spur some thinking in your organization about your context. 
You know, I do think it's important to read this with an eye of, hey, okay, here's what they're reporting, what might be going on in their organization and elsewhere. How might this apply to my organization? Because not everything perhaps that is happening in another organization is the same as yours. But there is some value here. And of course, check out our show notes for that, as well as other links and, and information that we think are helpful. Any closing thoughts on on this, Chris? Generations are baloney. Check out the court <laughs> court Rudolph episode. It's in the show note. But Ben, just, just give us a quick recap. Sure thing. So today we talked about Microsoft's look at post-pandemic work. We gave an overview of their new report titled, The Next Great Disruption is Hybrid Work. Are we ready? We talked about our, our analysis and an evaluation of what we see as the most and least valuable pieces of that. And we talked about some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.